This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today we're talking with a relatively new fire chief in the Midwest. He's making strides to improve morale and move his department forward. Michael Baker has been the fire chief of the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma since June of 2020, leading a department of 742 members with 30 fire stations. A 25-year veteran of the Tulsa Fire Department, Chief Baker held previous roles of Chief of EMS, the Public Information Officer, and Fire Captain. Chief Baker holds a Master of Arts in Security Studies, that's Homeland Security, from the Naval Postgraduate School Center for Homeland Defense and Security, and a Bachelor's in University Studies, and that's Political Science, Sociology, and Emergency Management, from Oklahoma State University. Chief Baker, I want to welcome you to the program. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. So you've been uh, with the Tulsa Fire Department uh, as chief for a little over a year now. Uh, you've already accomplished a lot. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about some of the challenges uh, you've you've had and, uh, frankly, some of the uh, uh, successes as well. But we're going to look at both challenges and successes. There's a lot of times we're only talking about the successes people have, but you know, we'll talk about a little bit of both here. You know, when the pandemic hit, we were both doing some pretty interesting things. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, my wife and I were getting on a cruise ship. You, just a couple months later, were taken over as fire chief of a, of a fairly large uh, Midwest fire department. And I know when you start out as a chief, we typically have a lot of plans and ideas. So I know how the cruise impacted uh, what I was doing. It's sort of like the three-hour tour to nowhere uh, that we had to turn around and come back. But how did COVID affect that beginning time for you as chief, that experience that you were expecting, uh, or I guess in your mind, maybe you had expected, as opposed to what you had to experience? Yeah, that's an incredible question. And um, if I can, I'm going to back up a few sure. months before, before taking chief. And so... In March of 2020, I found myself at the National Fire Academy finishing up my last year of EFO. Mm. And, um, you know, rumors were running rampant about closing campus. And, you know, we were the last as soon as we graduated, we were out the door and they were shutting the gates. Yep. And so um, I decided, you know, because we had trips planned, my wife was coming up and family and all the good stuff to celebrate the fourth year and the graduation from executive fire officer. and uh, all that was canceled. So the celebration of all that work was kind of put on hold. And sure. I had driven, I had driven to Maryland. And so I had found that trip was very pleasurable. And I was on my way back and I came back to the department. I worked one week and I came down with the coronavirus. <laughs> and so um, I was, I was one of the early adopters in the coronavirus within our department. Um, spent, uh, oh, 14 days off work. Uh, I did not have a pleasurable experience. And so mm -hmm. during that time, though, the department really was trying to grasp, you know, my absence at, at the fire academy and coming back and being gone. You know, my number two in EMS at the time was trying to really understand what we were doing next. And um, I think the entire department was. And so it was just such a time of challenge. And then the the, the previous fire chief decided, you know, this was his time. He was leaving. And so 
uh, it was it was such an interesting time to personally be ill, uh, come back to a department that was trying to grasp, uh, you know, a pandemic, and then we have a change in leadership. And so um, it it was that those were the moments that have really been un you know unrelenting all the way through to today. Can, can you talk? Uh, and I'm now I'm going to back up. Can you talk to uh, go back to the coming back and having COVID? Do you mind sharing with our listeners uh, some of the personal effects that you went through with that and, and whether that's had any lasting impact on uh, you physically as you took over as chief? Sure, absolutely. Um, I spent um, a good part of you know, I would say 10 days uh, with a fever over 100, mm. um, you know, respiratory distress, uh, just not doing well. And as a, you know, at that time, I'd been a paramedic for almost 30 years. And I had, you know, just I'd laid there with a pulse oximeter on my finger, just waiting for my sats to drop and yeah. just constantly monitoring what I was doing. Um, but I will tell you that it, for me, what it allowed me to do was gain empathy for my firefighters and the community members that were sick. So I, I'm going to look for the bright spot in that illness and say, sure. you know, I suffered it. But you know what? I, I when I came into the leadership position, I knew what the potential risk was to my firefighters. I was an advocate for health and safety practices. And I could stand there and say, I had COVID. You need to be I don't wish it on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, um, where it, it brought me is, and as the other part of that is that I, my respiratory system, I think was, uh, kind of trashed, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a long time with low physical output and ability to do, you know, my regular fitness routines. And I'm j- honestly, I'm just now getting back to a point where I can run a 5k and not have a problem. Um, so it, so when firefighters came to us and had respiratory compromise from that illness, we really understood. And I, I became very empathetic with their cause. And so, um, it, it, I'm just now getting back to normal, frankly. So a year and a half. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty, uh, significant. And, uh, I appreciate you sharing that experience with us that, uh, you know, we we hear a lot of people have had it, but uh, don't get a chance to really talk to, uh, frankly, a chief at this point that that got it that early. Um, you know, that was that was the point I was getting on and off of. A, actually, while you were at the fire academy, I was getting on and off the cruise ship pretty quickly. So uh, fortunately, uh, I have not had to experience um, the virus myself. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with us uh, here. So. You know, you come in as chief, you um, had grand plans, I'm sure, um, at some point if you thought you were going to be chief. Now COVID hits, you're dealing with all those issues. Uh, you're, you know, you're at the point now, a year and a half later, where you feel like you're um, about back to normal and hopefully back in the gym, because that would certainly, uh, that would certainly knock me for a loop if I couldn't get to, get to the gym. Right. How, yeah, how has your department fared uh, beyond you, how has your department fared with the entire virus? Everything from the staffing issues, uh, we may as well talk about vaccine issues. You know, that's, that's of course, a hot-button issue across the country. Can you talk about how Tulsa has uh, 
been dealing with that? Well, as a as a department, um, I will tell you that when you come in as a new fire chief and you're getting ready to peak, where you know I was kind of on the uphill slide of the curve um, to the peak of the virus, and you know, just like any other chief will tell you or any other leader in a department, every eye is on you, right? Everything you do, every decision you make, and so. I was balancing setting strategic and personal priorities, but yet I was also trying to engage with my membership. So I wanted to make station visits. Um, And so what was interesting is the first thing I did is, is that we were, we had understaffed the, the response to coronavirus um, in the previous administration. I know I'm, I'm really not bashing, but there was no real direction for a few months prior to my arrival. And so the first thing I did is I said, okay, we're going to set up a task force. We're going to tackle this. We're going to get the data. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I made some task assignments and we began to meet uh, daily. And I assigned basically a COVID czar to track every member. We set up hotlines and we began to record who was what status. And so what that allowed us to do was predict the demand for callback overtime and callback staffing levels and predict what was going to happen. So the one I, I remember it vividly sitting in an office of, of the deputy chief and having a group of uh, chief officers and captains that had been I had kind of assigned to this COVID task force come to me. And they said, we cannot continue on this track. Well, I knew this, you know, kind of deep down inside that I was like, oh, I'm letting them kind of, I'm letting them learn. I'm letting them push beyond the limits of what I'm comfortable with. But I knew that if I intervened, I was going to break this principle of mine to let them do the work and send the work to the closest level possible and let them bring the the ideas up to command. And so... It was this internal battle with me and this and this. And so but they ultimately I allowed them that trust to come forward and they came to me and said, hey, we've got to make a change. We cannot afford in our budget to spend this amount of dollars per day on callback staff and we have to make some changes. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, we started modifying operations to the point where um, we reduced callback staffing. And so what it was a it was a pivotal moment for me because i had to learn that which was one of my 100 day plan i, g- I gave the department a 100 day plan and that lasted about 100 minutes you know from my yeah. first day and so but what i did was i set um three strategic priorities for the first 100 days and they ended up being the last the, for this two years and frankly they become uh, the mantra that I've used and what the very first thing was build trusting relationships. Yeah. And for me, that was extending trust to my command officers, my captains, and, and really all the department to do the right thing and have conversations with folks. And so I had to also extend that trust. And so they were looking at me to lead by example. And so that was a pivotal moment for the department. As a result, um, we did have some illnesses. Um, you know, to be honest, we've had several hospitalizations. Um, the we we had to lock down the department, and 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 we a lot of us in headquarters went to remote work. Um, the the one of my earliest and most difficult decisions was I had to cancel Christmas and Thanksgiving at the stations. Yeah. Um, and, and retirement parties. We were having 
the the Oklahoma pension system and the firefighters pension system in Oklahoma did very well uh, this last year. So we lost a lot of people due to retirement. And so we were having senior members of the department leave and we couldn't celebrate. Um, I couldn't celebrate the previous fire chief's departure. I couldn't celebrate one of my longtime mentors, a deputy of field operations. Couldn't have a party for him. Uh, we could we were promoting firefighters, captains, chiefs and couldn't celebrate that with their families. Um, every tradition that we had to build cohesive group family and celebrate milestones of work was gone. Yeah. And for me, where I was and I said, there's going to be a point I'm going to have to call off Christmas. And I just, I, you know, I knew what it meant to the firefighters. Um, I knew what it meant to their families and they responded. But um, it, and I think it part of the time it was they just needed somebody to make that decision, frankly, um, and to and to be decisive and to be willing to say, look, I'm more worried about your health and safety than the the celebration. And you're going to have to put it on pause. Yeah. So you talked about how you uh, modified the staffing levels. Did you did you ever get to a point where you had to put any units out of service uh, or were you able to maintain full service throughout? Well, early days, uh, within the first um, month or so of my arrival, um, we had a station. That, really, it was the first station, uh, one of our, our, our stations up north, Station 24. Uh, they had a, the, a group of the firefighters before we really, I mean, this was early days still. I mean, this would have been the end of June, 1st of July. And in fact, it was end of June. So um, they had attended, a, I think, a wedding or something like that. And it went the virus went rampant through the station and yeah. it was to the point where we had to, we literally had to, sh the, everyone was sick at by six o'clock in the evening and we had to shut the doors on the station. Um, yeah. For me, that was also one of my driving factors is, is that I cannot remove. And this is what I told my firefighters. So I was like, we cannot stop fire protection because you have to remain healthy as a critical infrastructure component of the city. And it is your mission. We have to be there. Um, I was anticipating, uh, frankly, something that didn't happen, which was, you know, we were going to move everybody indoors. And I felt like our fire demand and, and our workload was going to increase. Um, but, you know, everyone did a very good job with fire prevention and good safety habits, even though they were home and cooking more, et cetera. So, um, you know, but yes, when we started shutting stations and I, I knew that we were at the point where we could not. We had to be creative and innovative in our methods to to um, to combat staffing issues. And what we did up front was we took staff officers and we ensured that they were suppression refreshed and we put staff officers back in the field, um, yeah. let them fill in and backfill positions. And that really gave us some rest. Um, that would be training officers and planning staff, et cetera. And so we went down to minimum staffing at headquarters and we put those folks back to work where we needed them most. Chief, let's switch gears for just a second. Um, I, I understand that um, the Tulsa mayor uh, conducted a survey and I, I suppose for all employees, but can you talk about how that survey affected your firefighters and um, how you have been able to use that survey or, and maybe how the mayor's used it to help foster trust and, um, you know, and, and keeping that morale up? Absolutely. Um, yes, our, our mayor, um, 
you know, conducts a citywide survey on an annual basis to understand kind of the strategic vision of where the members and the employees need to go um, with what within their departments. And it actually caught me by surprise. Um, the I was I have a regular connection meeting with the mayor and um, we, we meet every couple of weeks. And uh, on one of our meetings, we were doing remote work at the time. Um, you know, I, I was still probably a little new and a little bit nervous about what the outcome would be because it was a transition. I had it, it, it definitely wasn't easy when you cancel Christmas. Right. And so right. Um, he says, man, you have some big fans in the fire department. And I'm like, excuse me. And so um, what I was able to do was I, and I don't I can't explain the moment. I really can't explain the moment that. We began to build, you know, more confidence and morale in the department. But I think for me, based on my analysis of kind of going back and looking at the events is I I tried to accomplish a couple of quick wins early on when I came into the office. In fact, within the first week, I I, uh, I had made a reassignment of our hazmat task force um, to a to a station where they had a little more breathing room. And then I had uh, changed a policy about how we kind of distributed newly promoted uh, company officers. And so once I did that, it kind of was like, oh, he's serious about actually making some changes. And so I think between that and then secondly, um, I I committed to frequent, open, honest communication. And so I began basically what has become these Friday uh, fire chief notes emails there there's no i've been very transparent there's nothing to hide um there's no um you know agenda there is this is my week this is what i have been working on this is what you need to know um here's some here's a report that we've generated here's something important that you should look at um so i think connecting uh, kind of digitally and allowing them to read that really felt like that you know what we're not hiding anything uh, we're not you know we're not the big bad headquarters i think the other part is really pre-station lockdown is i gathered and made visits to fire stations um and sat there and talked to firefighters and sometimes it would be 30 minutes and sometimes it was four hours yeah. and um so really trying to do that i mean that that became my biggest joy um, I think the other part, my mantra has been to be present. And I learned that in dealing with some of our frequent EMS callers back when my EMS days. And it's like the only way you figure out what's wrong with these folks is to be, be present in their home and to see it. Well, the only way you're going to engage with these firefighters and understand you have to talk to the people closest to the work and at the service delivery. They have to know that you're approachable that you're honest, you're doing the best you can to give them the, great, the best answers, and that you care about what they're doing. Um, I would go on the smallest structure fire, the, and, and what I've learned, really what the practice has become for me is I constantly listen to the radio when I'm in my vehicle and around the department. I am, if there's a, you know, if they're sitting on a fender bender accident, I can stop and well, we're waiting for a record to come or something. And I will talk with a group of four or five firefighters and just I can share more information in those roadside moments or small event moments than I can um, 
you know, I really get to know them better and they see me, they, they appreciate just the simple fact that I took the time to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it is anytime I have an opportunity to say hi, uh, visit with them, wave, I will go to the smallest and the largest of fire. It doesn't have to be anything. It is where they're working. Um, and, but I'll also tell you that there's, they wanted to see, they like to see you as a person. Um, I started attending retirement parties that were off duty, not a, not a department sponsored, you know, cake and handshake, but you know, a civilian clothes, you know, yep, I'll drink a beer with you and have some conversation. And I thought the first one I went to, I thought, okay, I'm in and out. It was a firefighter retiring that I had worked with and I really wanted to make a presence at his party. And I thought the room was going to fall over when I walked in. Mm -hmm. And the comments I got within the first few hours was, hey, we've never seen a fire chief at one of these events. We appreciate you just coming and paying attention to us and being part of our family, basically. And so being present at whatever the event is, um, you have to humble yourself to that. And, and what happens is then the, the levels of rumors go down with frequent communication. Uh, I still get emails back from fire captains and firefighters saying, look, you don't have to send us a lot of detailed information. We appreciate it. We can tell that misinformation, misunderstanding and rumors are not running rampant in the department. And I try to listen and clarify those as they come into my office as well. And so, again, it's being present with the firefighters and demonstrating that you care. Yeah, really good stuff. Um, so let's switch gears here for just a second. Uh, it, it certainly hasn't been all, I, I guess I'll say roses and rainbows. Uh, great stuff. I love the the uh, what I'm going to call your the, the roadside manner. Um, I do some similar things. Uh, I'm not sure that I have this. I would have the same uh, fans of a mayor survey, but uh, <laughs> I, I certainly uh, do some of the same kind of thing as far as going on scenes and whatnot. But I, I, in an interview with uh, Tulsa World, um, you you did note that. You know, you've had some loss as well. You've had some uh, some struggles. Can you tell us about that and how you're working through those changes? Sure. It and really we did. Um, well, you sure grow up as a fire chief, uh, yeah. especially in your first year. Um, uh, I I probably I think any any chief will admit that they don't expect the unexpected, and so um, really several things happen is. Um, we, one of the biggest problems that we have had as a department is we were under, underfunded on apparatus, um, mm -hmm. for many years. The, we went from a gap from the year of 2007 to 2019 without buying a fire apparatus. Oh, goodness. I have some reserve apparatus. I was walking by one in the lot. I have a reserve truck that's got 1992 you know, on the apparatus, you know, equipment ID. Um, that has changed. We're re, re, rebuilding our inventory. But um, so I had a, a, a what I've called just this fleet crisis. I mean, I had no reserves uh, and no money sitting in a, you know, that I could use. And so fortunately, uh, our mayor has really prioritized that. And, and we are working on that. And we're taking delivery of four trucks this week. So um, we're getting there. So that that was an issue. 
um, we walked into, I walked into a situation with a, what was a, a joint partnership between a community college and our fire training center um, that was billed as a regional fire academy and regional center and developed an academic and hands-on application for the fire service um, for the future, developing future firefighters. Um, and I walked into that saying, hey, we are no longer interested in being your partner. Um, we need to dissolve this partnership by the next fiscal within the next fiscal year. And so I made a task assignment to the person in charge of that. And we were out of there by October. Um, so that was a breakup. Um, do you do your of, own? Do, do you have your own training center now that we do? Um, we rebuilt and we they basically deeded the property to us and said, here you go take it, you know, you know, it's now your full, they, they gifted us the property, which Got we it. were very fortunate that we were not left without one. Um, but we have a wonderfully, you know, wonderful state of the art, uh, facility. Um, uh, but where we're lacking is that community partnership and academic equivalency that we had. And so, um, a bigger problem was I lost all my secondary classroom space. Um, and, and it, it's cramped the style of the department for a while, but sure. um, we found some new academic partners. We're, we're recovering quickly. Um, yeah. The the other loss that we had was the airport came to us with in financial straits uh, due to the decreased, um, you know, travel from uh, coronavirus. And so uh, they Basically, we had provided airport fire suppression uh, with a station there for over 50 years. And, um, you know, I think one of the most difficult decisions I had, I have some people who were um, experts in ARF and experts in, you know, FAA regulation and policy and training and education and had a passion in for, for uh, aircraft rescue. And I had to tell them that, guess what, you know, we're shutting the station. And it was, it, I negotiated back and forth, but ultimately it came down to staffing numbers and I was not willing to compromise what I felt was safe operations on apparatus. Right. And um, I wasn't going to go down to one operator on an ARF truck. And so, um, uh, so we lost it and um, yeah. it, it hurt. And so, um, and then, you know, on a personal note, and, and really for the department as well, we had two other significant losses. And as a fire chief, it was probably the worst day when, um, you know, we lost firefighter Jake Reiner to, um, to suicide. Mm -hmm. um, he had been ill and um, we, his crew had been taking care of him. Um, and that, you know, to get that phone call um, to, drive over to the fire station immediately and just be present and sit with those firefighters as they grieve to, you know, see the family and the young children um, is, you know, that's, that's, you know, that was my first experience. Um, a few minutes, of, excuse me, a few months later, we unexpectedly lost uh, Chief R.B. Ellis um, to an unexpected cardiac event in his home. And, he had he was our health and safety chief, um, uh, just an incredible mentor of mine across my entire career uh, and before um, a instructor that taught firefighters across our state. And, you know, so it wasn't the you know, we lost partnerships with organizations. We lost 
physical property. You know, we lost um, business lines, but losing two members of our department unexpectedly in the first year, um, uh, you know, you, I sit here and talk to you about it and you don't realize all the growth that you've had. And, you know, for those folks that are looking for a fire chief's job, um, these are the things that I didn't expect. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and by the way, there was a pandemic on, right? Right. So. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely this, this period is, chief for anybody uh, is uh, has been troubling but to add all of those things and you were a new chief uh, certainly you've been through a rough patch there uh, and but it, it sounds to me like you've got what it takes to uh, to keep building the department and bringing things back and, and refocusing uh, the positivity that is uh, certainly important for the organization uh, do you have you said the mayor is making an investment in the apparatus? Is there a plan now for the apparatus uh, replacement that is going to begin to reduce that average age? Yes, there is. the The problem we've had is that there's been a, a small stream of funding to buy replacement apparatus. We just haven't had enough to. Yeah. Um, you, you can't overcome that that 12 year deficit, and so the we have um, we've got some funding in the works um, and. Uh, you know, as soon I think on July 2nd, we sent a purchase order for $10 million for the apparatus. Yeah. But um, we feel like that we can get out of our pickle probably within the next, um, you know, two to three fiscal years and be back on track. So uh, so we're on a, we're on the right track now. Yeah, no, that's good. And then, you know, none of that stuff happens um, uh, by mistake. Right. You. Right. You, you have the experiences. You. Um, you go down the road that you're going down uh, as far as leadership and you go down the road of, of uh, uh, listening to the firefighters and of building the morale. And none of that happens by mistake. That happens by plan. And I can tell by your resume that you've been a lifelong learner. Uh, and I, I suspect every successful chief will find that descriptive as part of their pedigree, whether that's uh, literally a degree program or whether it is that lifelong learning at, at any level. How do you help or work? How do you work to instill that mindset in others in the department beyond the fact that you demonstrate it? How do you work to instill that mindset of lifelong learning to others in your department? Well, and that's a, you're, you're exactly right. That is a passion of mine and uh, I can tell you that it wasn't always that way. Um, so um, yeah. I, I think, you know, when you're um, it, it between working shift work all the years and studying for promotions, you know, I think it took me 14 years to get my bachelor's degree done, you know, while I was working shift and et cetera. And you then I just hit the ground running to, you know, finish my master's program and EFO. And in fact, I joke that as a fire chief, this is the first job I've never been hustling for the next one and not been in a class. And so it was kind of refreshing that I didn't have a paper due or something. And so, um, so when I, when I came in, I gave the department three really priorities for the year. And I mentioned one of them earlier. The first one was building trusting relationships. So we had some trust issues. Um, and I, I told them, you know, that's how I've, that's how I've handled my disciplinary uh, issues. I've, uh, I keep talking to company officers about it. I 
I work on developing promotional exam assessments on those. So they have remained my rock um, and values. And they're good for me as well. I mean, I have to remember that too. Like I talked about, I have to extend trust to my officers. Secondly, um, safe workplace, safe fire scene. So that includes, uh, you know, the, the safety that we want every day in our operations. But it also meant um, providing a safe workplace and that the work environment is fair, equitable, uh, without harassment and intimidation and that you people are able to excel. And then last but not least, I said, we're going to lead, follow, and learn. So there's going to be moments we're going to be leaders. There's going to be moments we're going to be followers, but we're constantly going to be learning. And so what I did was uh, I've done several things kind of, um, and one of the things that I, I kind of stuck my neck out on early was uh, I said, let's, let's see if I can get people to be a reader other than, uh, uh, you know, a promotional material. So I started a book club mm. and I said, uh, okay, here's the first book, you know, and I got a little bit of a, you know, and, but we were doing it during COVID. It was virtual. We did some discussion back and forth and, and it was kind of a, yeah, all right. And then I did another one. It was a little bit, but I think now what really the benefit of the book club and, and another chief officer reminded me of this is that, um, it's to be able to have engagement with the fire chief. It's like, hey, read something he's reading. Um, let's come together as a group, share discussion. So I think now that we can kind of, you know, hopefully get back together a little bit. Um, I've got a book lined up that I'm ready to, to get as the as the next one. And I'm going to keep pushing that. Um, additionally, what we did is um, we took when we promoted uh, fire equipment operator, which is a, basically our lieutenant in our department, and captains, we had a one week kind of transition course for leadership, which was not um, just really wasn't getting it for me. Um, so one of my first directives and it were to the chief of training uh, was, hey, let's rebuild this curriculum. You, you have my full authority to go forth and conquer and let's rebuild this. So we took it from one week to two week um, and we have pre-reading. So now they're reading books, not on promotional exams and, you know, that are sometimes not always about um, uh, fire service, but um, it's also peer led. It's these are fire captains and senior officers and firefighters coming in to talk about what they do in the department. And so it's their peers are teaching them. So they're learning, they're seeing others. So we're not always bringing in outside experts. We're only we're teaching it internally. And sure. so that has been incredible for that. So we've, we've done those two. Um, so we've increased those two academies. Um, and then one of the other things that I did for is what I call the headquarters experience, which is to bring newly promoted uh, chief officers to spend a week at headquarters. They start with me, they end with me, and they I, I give them information and materials and we talk about, you know, where we're taking the department, you know, strategically. But I also want them to know and learn you know, the fundamentals of headquarters, because what I found was that if you spend your entire and I'm sure everybody has the same situation, but if you spend your entire career in the field, you know, you don't know how when you get promoted to chief, you don't know how to come down and process a travel request or you don't know what the ladies in finance do or the gentleman who washes your bunker gear or you don't know any of the fleet issues because you don't come down and talk to the fleet, you know, the chief of physical resources. So. Um, so all of those I have been trying to push forward. And then last but not least, I've, I've, 
I've really began to do that as part of a mentoring process and introduce folks. You know, I frequently will leave books on people's desks and say, this is what we're reading now. Um, and I constantly try to update, um, you know, where I'm at uh, in understanding where we need to take the organization. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I'm a year and, you know, almost a year and a half in and um, I still haven't gotten my 100 day plan off the ground. Yeah, um, I can understand that. You know, I, but, but I'm coming back to is that we needed a new North Star for our department. We needed a new mission. Uh, excuse me. We needed a new mission statement. We need a new vision and strategy. And so what I've had to do is come back and say, well, what does that mean? Well, that required some reading and some education with other members of the department. So it's a constant process. Um, but what I'm trying to, but once again, it has to come from me that I demonstrate that as a value. And so uh, I'm trying to um, impart that uh, habit and process. You know, the the fifth discipline um, is a is a book that I read that that really talks about you know becoming lifelong learning, a learning organization. And, um, you know, we, we are learning. We train constantly. We constantly update our skill set, but we tend to be pretty much one or two dimensional. We don't. Uh, I want firefighters and, and captains and company officers and chiefs to read other than for promotion. Right. Right. Um, and bring some some new thoughts and ideas because um, the world is getting more complex. The speed of change is faster and we have to be responsive. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar uh, uh, book reading program I was involved with, and uh, I'll offer you, if you have not already used uh, Fierce Conversations with Dr. Susan Smith, a uh, great book for new officers especially, uh, as an opportunity to, to uh, help them have those conversations that they, that they might find difficult otherwise. So really good stuff uh, there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Absolutely. Oh, well, I was going to say one of the first things we did was uh, the Crucial Conversations or a Courageous Conversations program based on Crucial Conversations. So um, uh, that was a big that was a big change for the department to sit down and have a a class related to, you know, building trust and building relationships with the other. And that also fell into the safe workplace environment. So um, I have to constantly think about how I'm linking everything in together. And so, but once again, it goes back to the core things that I've tried to stick to. And it really honestly has helped me be focused um, probably more than the firefighters. Yeah. And, you know, your focus is important. Um, You had a great quote in the Tulsa World article and it said, my job is to handle tomorrow. Can you tell, you know, how, how do you incorporate that? in that philosophy and in building that department, how does that help you incorporate that? And and how do they internalize that? Your, your folks, how do they internalize it? Well, um, you know, it's something, you know, uh, you know, and I I can't remember exactly where I I really started reviewing back about what, what the, maybe it's the cycle of work that, you know, command and, and headquarters kind of has, which is this, you know, it, it, if you look at it as an awesome, I kind of steal this from Stanley McChrystal and his work in team of teams and um, the McChrystal Group's research into how organizations function. But um, if you if you look, we're all on different work cycles, right? So my vision is much more strategic in nature, but yet 
I can easily get pulled into a tactical decision about, you know, well, what color do we want to paint this station? Or, you know, does this need to happen here? Or can you write this memorandum of understanding? You know, and I started seeing that early on. I was like, wait a minute, I'm being pulled in all these directions. And it's really my job to let people do their work. And, you know, so that once again, that goes back to that trust and and saying, look, you know, I trust you to deliver service until proven otherwise. Um, and so you guys are going to be out there and you're the front line and your your job is to respond operationally. And when you hand that off to them and you say, I trust you to do so, um, then I don't have to worry about today. I can go back to say, look, let me you guys got this. I mean, that's the one thing we do. Well, um, we you know, I don't I, our guys are not having a problem fighting a fire. Right. Right. Um, you know, fires are not, you know, engulfed. You know, we're keeping it to the property. Right. So sure. we're not losing blocks, you know, which is a bonus. Right. We're so, not burning. The, we're not burning the sky. That's absolutely right. correct. And so um, they're doing an incredible job with the tasks they do every day. And so I don't I go to bed at night and I'm like, 100 percent. I do not worry about the operations. Right. What I worry about is the current issues that I'm facing that are, um, you know, still got a little bit of a Delta variant that we're worrying about in our community. Right. Sure. So people are still I just had a firefighter come out of ICU. I'm concerned about their health and wellness. Right. Um, I'm we're having a staffing crisis with our third party ambulance provider um it is creating uh you know just monumental ambulance delays that's a nationwide problem and there's no easy fix there's no this is what's impacting healthcare and if you're not looking at the second or third order effects of what we're dealing with in coronavirus um that's what i i'm supposed to be doing right that's what my firefighters look at me going hey I need you to go find me some budget dollars for trucks. I need mm-hmm. you to go help me, you know, look at a bigger program. And so um, when you when you're not worrying about your operations and you let folks do their job and you trust them to do so and you and you tell them I trust them, Right. I'm not out there. I'm not reaching down into operations. That that was the one thing I committed early on. I'm like, look, I'm going to trust but verify and I'm not going to reach down. And it, sometimes it's hard. And I have found myself going, oh, wait, are you pushing too much here? Are you micromanaging? And I apologize for it. Or I address it quickly that, hey, I'm getting ready to ask you a tactical question um, in a meeting. Um, and so when you're aware of that, they don't take offense. And so they right. know that you're asking. Yeah. Um, and when I've committed to that, it allows me, frankly, to have more focused time to you know look at broader issues of the industry and talk with other folks and try to say you know one you know my mantra for now is we we have got to become a 21st century fire department we've we're behind an apparatus we've lost technology due to a ransomware attack i mean we have just been hit and when when you start setting that vision that hey we're going to be a 21st century department um folks begin to get on board they begin to feel like they have a purpose they know that their service delivery is valued, but it allows me to do my job and I'm not worried. I've got 30 stations. I can't be in everybody's business every day. And yeah. so, um, so, you know, worrying about tomorrow is really allows me to focus and not be caught up in the weeds of, of um, you know, I have other folks. I have deputy chiefs that help do that assistance and, and, and district chiefs that do that. 
And so just letting folks do their job and, and, and then that lets me do mine. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I tell people, uh, you know, to talk about it being a 21st century department, uh, tell them this is not your grandfather's fire department any longer. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of times we forget that chief, you have anything else to add? Well, I think, you know, as, a, as I'm sitting here interviewing candidates for a class of 60 that I have to have hired pretty quickly for a safer grant, um, what I'm what is incredible to see is the feedback that I get from my applicants about the influence of the firefighters on their career choice. And there are a few words that have come out is this, you know, the camaraderie, the service delivery, the passion for their job. But ultimately, everybody loves their job and it's reflected in my applicants no matter how well they're qualified you know if they interact with our folks they 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 also see much like the mayor saw that there's a job satisfaction here and i i am amazed every day you know it's coronavirus it's losing the airport it's not the best fleet even compared to our neighbors they're concerned about pay raises and pay rates, et cetera. But yet I don't I don't worry about them delivering service. And that's an incredible feeling for a for somebody. And you have to be at a point where you have confidence and you can kind of relax and give that up. Sure. I hate to say it, but um and and it's a it it is what makes the fire service so wonderful. And the last thing I'll share is the thing that I try to remember every day. And one of our administrative assistants told me this, and it has stuck with me from the first weeks that I've been fire chief, is that if I'm standing in a room, I can't see the number of bugles on my collar, and I can't see the number of bugles on my badge. It, as long as I forget I'm the fire chief, it's easy to manage and just be approachable and, and, and work with this team that I have of incredible people. And so I don't think about that. I forget that sometimes I'm the guy that they're looking at to make the decision because I don't see my rank. And as long as I remember that so far, I have been comfortable in my work. Uh, The headquarters atmosphere is completely different. And I think we're on the right track to, you know, continue our work as a great department and be a 21st century department within the next few years. Sounds like it, Chief. I appreciate uh, Chief Michael Baker, you staying with us today. I want to capture some takeaways from this. It was entering interesting conversation. And uh, first and foremost, Chief Baker shared with us his personal experience of contracting COVID early on in uh, during during this crisis and uh, how uh, that then leading into him becoming chief and Uh, how he had a 100-day plan that uh, he admits, frankly, uh, essentially lasted about 100 minutes before he had to abandon that, Uh, although he didn't abandon it. Here we are 540 days or more into it, and it's still a work in progress. He talked about three goals that he um, gives to his department, and one, uh, building trusting relationships, two, having and building safe workplaces and scenes, and three, that every day they lead, follow, and learn. Uh, Then he talked about his uh, commitment to uh, being open and honest and having uh, open and honest communication. I want to say two things, uh, recall two things that he talked about. One was the the chief emails he puts out on Friday, which is an update to the department about 
what what's going on, uh, some of the honest things that have been happening with the chief and with the organization over the course of the week, things that you wouldn't normally see, wouldn't normally see behind the curtain. He pulls that curtain back and lets them see it on Friday with those emails. And then the other part of that is his what I'll call his roadside manner. Uh, you've heard a bedside manner. Well, this is the roadside manner when he'll stop on the scene uh, of a, it could be a minor car accident or it could be a, a fire. He'll just stop and talk to the crew members. Then we talked about some of the struggles that Tulsa has been going through, but we quickly uh, transisted from that into what's frankly more important, and that is the ability to learn not only from those struggles, but from a lifelong learning environment. Chief Baker, I really appreciate you being with us. It's great stuff. I want to thank you, and I want to thank our listeners for staying with us today. This is Mark Basher, Executive Editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.